My name is Andy Jemke, and this is the Balancing Act podcast. Uh, Today, I've got a very special guest. Well, I say that every time I have a guest, but uh, this one is also a very special guest, uh, Mr. Daniel Hayden from uh, Google. He is the head of sales curriculum at Google, and I just want to welcome Daniel to the show. Uh, Today, we're going to continue to explore uh, the balance between trust and accountability, and we're going to focus specifically on the area of sales. Uh, In episode 20, if you recall, Dan Stratford and I discussed what accountability looks like at the organizational level, and today, with Daniel's help, we're going to drill down to what that means uh, in the world of, uh, of sales and your sales department. So before we get started, Daniel, it'd be great if you could uh, tell your, our listeners your story. Uh, and if you, uh, while you're telling your story, if you had to pick one event in your life that was a key accelerant to your career, what would that be? Sure. Thanks, Andy. It's nice to be here. Thank you for for bringing me on. Um, so yeah, my story um, is is always kind of linked back to, to leadership, and this will be a common theme in our in our discussion today. So um, I spent uh, prior to joining Google, I spent ten years at American Express. Uh, I did a range of different roles there, from operations to marketing to training to analytics, um, and more recently have been working in the sales enablement um, space. Um, and at Google, as you said, I kind of head up the, the sales skills curriculum team. So, so my team at Google creates uh, and builds a lot of the sales curriculum um, that our sellers that sell the ads um, use in order to upskill and train themselves so they can be more effective in, in their sales. And I think one um, key accelerant in my career, if I look back at the 10 years at American Express, and there were a few roles before American Express, but I'm going to focus primarily on my experience Um, over the past 10 years, so it's more recent for your listeners, I was actually offered um, a director role of performance management analytics in um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That was back in 2015, 2016. Um, And this wasn't a particular role I really ever envisioned envisioned myself taking. Um, It was very heavy analytics. It was leading a large team of engineers and um, analytical managers focused on how performance management could be improved, how our incentive programs could be improved. So initially, when I looked at that role, I was kind of going, well, I don't really want to be sitting there just going through spreadsheets every day. I much prefer the sales side of things and the leadership side of things. I don't know if this role is going to suit me. However, it was a large analytical team, as I just said. So I decided to focus on like what this role could give me that may look quite different to previous roles. So I focused on the opportunity here really to develop my leadership skills among the group of individuals where I wasn't familiar with their work. Um, it's very easy for me to lead a training team or, or a client management sales team because I, I've done those roles and I understand what those individuals go through and, and what the experience is, but I'd never been an analyst. So um, I actually decided to take the role to try and figure out how I would fare as a leader, developing individuals that I just probably couldn't do the role of, which was engineering and, and analytical work. Um, so I took the role and I decided to reshape the team. Um, I grew it across global markets. I shifted a lot of resources from one market to another market based on where our customers needed our support. And actually it ended up being um, an incredibly worthwhile change. And I was incredibly successful in that role because my outside and very different perspective added a lot of value Um, to a world where a lot of the time 
you know, the analysts or engineers had just been promoted um, up through the ranks and became the, the performance management director um, based on, on, the, on their tenure and performance. And bringing somebody in with a completely different perspective gave them a new lens. And it was the leadership that changed that organisation. And it was my external knowledge of sales and of, of other areas of the company that were using these um, analyst, analyst resources um, that actually enabled them to become much closer to the business because they'd brought somebody in from the business. So in the end, I, I learned a lot from that role and it made me realise it's important to not judge a role or a particular point in your career purely off what you see at face value and really dig deep to understanding what leadership experience can you get out of it that may be even more beneficial um, than the roles that you might on the face of it think you're going to enjoy a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, you and I are... Uh are very similar in that regard. You know, I, I grew up in my leadership career uh, managing people who were doing things that I was very uh, familiar with with doing. I, I could do the jobs uh, myself. So if there was some failure, I, I could step in and actually do the work. Uh, but as I uh, rose in the ranks and took on more responsibility, there were certainly areas where I had I had no ability to like jump in and and do that job, or I probably could have, but not nearly as effectively as uh, as those people. So uh, that that is a, a key leadership lesson, and I appreciate you uh, sharing that uh, with 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 our listeners today. And I think another key point, Andy, just to add to that, is that um, when you can't do the role of those individuals, you have to empower them more because you can't do it right so a nice a nice leadership lesson from that is you focus much more on enabling and empowering your own team to do the role because you know you can't do it whereas the temptation when you know how to do the role yourself is to just jump in and get your hands dirty and figure it out yourself which just which is sometimes helpful but it doesn't necessarily always help develop the, the individuals on the team so that's one of the big things i learned about taking a role where i couldn't do their jobs was that i had to find clever ways of empowering and enabling them and coaching them to figure out the the, the right resolution yeah, the, the Saturday morning muse that I'm working on this week is on, uh, at least tangentially, on this topic. It's on the topic of insecurity. And it is very easy in that, uh, in, in that uh, uh, situation where you don't know how to do the work and it's up to you to empower and enable and to, and to grow and, and to let let people really shine in areas where you don't, it's really easy to topple over onto the other side and let your insecurities uh, start to come out. And then all of a sudden you have to, as I like to say, strap on this suit of emotional armor and, uh, and, and be the big boss. And, uh, and, and that in, in uh, modern management uh, parlance is a, is a formula for disaster. So uh, I, I love talking to you, Daniel, because you just bring uh, these these wonderful additional perspectives. Uh, let, let's move on to the balancing act between trust and accountability in in, in the area of sales. Uh, we're going to have a lot of listeners who have lived experiences where the business and sales 
uh, are in in many companies viewed almost as different uh, different organizations. Uh, salespeople uh, can be considered more as contractors and uh, and really not a part of the business. So when things don't go so well, the fingers start to get pointed in uh, in in either direction. When uh, especially when sales and revenue goals uh, aren't met, so there's this. There, there's almost this built-in tension uh, that 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 can exist. Uh, what what is your historical experience with this with this tension between the business and and sales? And do you have an example that you can bring out uh, for our listeners to really make this uh, come to life? So yeah, the first thing I would say on this topic, Andy, is that tensions exist across the business, um, even outside of sales, particularly when it comes to targets, revenue, or, or business growth, because it's such an important part uh, of the company. But one example that I remember from my career uh, was when um, revenue was flatlining, and there was much more increased uh, competitor pressure, and we as a team were really unsure of how to turn it around. And um, we were looking at how potentially a few options were, do we upskill the staff, do we try and change the product and evolve the product and one of the things we ended up realising was um, leadership coaching was something that really lacked in the organisation um, and part of the reason was, was because leaders didn't see their job um, being to coach, but they saw their job as being to manage their team. And they didn't see the two coming together in any way. They saw the management of the team being around the administrative tasks they had to do or making sure that their team turned up to work or, or whatever it was. So we actually tried to change the role of, of, a, of a leader um, in the instance to make sure that they saw themselves much more as a coach than they did as a manager. Um, because if we knew what the customers wanted, then we could get the leaders to coach their salespeople to deliver in that way and that could pull back the market share that we lost to our competitors. So we, we did a big uh, a big leadership coaching program. We launched a big leadership coaching program across the world in over, I think, 25, 30 plus markets. Um, and it really did work. Um, we created a really simple leadership coaching framework. We revolutionized the way that we recruited leaders and we, we changed the culture in leadership as well. And we brought the leaders much closer to the frontline salespeople which allowed them to identify issues, um, but also made made the working relationship between them and their salespeople much stronger than it had been in the past, um, and it enabled them to develop their team in a much quicker time period to become better salespeople, which then impacted the way that we we spoke with customers and prospect, which was then able to increase our revenue and take it from when it was flatlining to to a really good accelerated pace. So I think the lesson I learned from that was it's really important for your leaders to understand what that leadership culture is and to understand the importance of coaching staff. Because coaching staff is not just about improving your salespeople. It's about learning yourself how to be a better coach and how to develop stronger relationships with your salespeople and get much closer to the customer. Because you as a leader have a higher lens, a higher level lens across the business on what's working and what's not. And you can share that knowledge through coaching with, with your sales team. So that was a really interesting thing for us because the salespeople started trusting their leaders more. Um, their leaders were able to hold their salespeople to account a lot more. Um, and a lot of that was just driven by this coaching program that we launched to try and turn the, the, the sales around. Yeah, I think that is uh, 
just an absolutely essential uh, perspective. We talk a lot on this podcast about the accidental manager and, uh, and, and the fact that uh, very few people wake up when they're 16, 17 years old and say, I want to manage people someday. Uh, you know, just the, it's, it, I, I, I want to be an astronaut or I, I want to be a firefighter or a police officer. Those are, uh, those are much, much more common, but I, I want to be a manager isn't one of them. So people come into management roles uh, thinking that, that older school uh, management is, 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 is what, what they should be doing. And they forget about this concept or, or haven't been taught this concept of coaching as one of the most important things uh, that, uh, that, 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 you, that you do as, as, a, as a leader and, and a manager. So th- thank, you for, thank you for taking our listeners there. Um, so this tension that I've at least experienced between sales and quote-unquote the business, and, and as you pointed out, uh, technology is another place where, uh, where there's uh, key, key accountability tension uh, in terms of getting new product out the door uh, and, and this feeling of belonging uh, that, um, that, that, that is so important for everybody uh, to really uh, align with the culture, uh, that feeling of belonging uh, d- uh, hasn't uh, hasn't really been there historically uh, in in a lot of the uh, companies that that I've looked at between the business and sales. Uh, we Dan in our previous ex- episode we talked about alignment and planning as. Uh, as, as a potential elixir to uh, growing an effective accountability framework, uh, how what how have you historically gotten sales more aligned in with the planning process uh, instead of more of the hands-off approach? Uh, that's that some take. Well, let's let's let the business do the planning. Finance does the planning. We we don't we don't want to we don't want to get involved in that. How do you bring everybody together? Well, it should, in my opinion, be one effort. It should be one team effort. And sales is the perfect organization to provide feedback to the business on how the product's working and what customers and prospects are saying about the product. So, um, whenever you want sales involved in the planning process. Um, you know, you want to position it around, you know, why is it important for sales to be part of that planning process? Because if you want to get their involvement and you want to get their interest, you've got to really show that sale, that salesperson or that sales team why it's beneficial to them to be part of that planning process. So, um, you know, obviously as a product team, you would want them involved because it will give you a good insight into what customers and prospects are saying. But ultimately, if salespeople are part of it, then they're going to help be able to help shape how products are developed and evolved and following the feedback from their customers and prospects, which is going to be able to um, encourage growth in the business and drive their own sales performance. So the, the way I would, um, the, one of the techniques I would really encourage um, individuals to try to, to bring sales closer to the rest of the business and to also ensure that they're integrated in the planning process is to show the salesperson what's in it for them. Because every minute that they're taking away 
asset taken away from from speaking to customers is potentially revenue that's lost that they could be making and that's what i'm very conscious of um, in any sales training team is that every minute that a salesperson spends on training is a minute that they could be spending with their customers so it's the same thing with this planning process every minute they spend working with the rest of the business or, or working on planning is a minute that they would want to spend probably speaking with their customers and prospects because that's what's going to help drive drive sales growth. So you've really got to show these salespeople what's in it for them if they're involved in this planning process. And one of the big things I think that uh, a salesperson would benefit from from being part of this, with being part of this um, planning process, is to actually help develop the products and say to them, look, Let's look at the common themes that you're hearing from your customers and prospects around, you know, around the product of things that isn't that aren't actually working, and let's use that feedback, incorporate that into the planning process. So as we develop our products, we can create products that are much more aligned to what your customers want, um, and that's something that a salesperson would very much value because, you know, I know from having worked in, in a client management sales role myself, like you. There's, there's a lot of pain points you sometimes see with your products that you, many customers keep telling you, but you don't have the power to change it. But if you're involved in the planning process and you're a part of the business, then it's much easier for you to push that feedback across and actually see real tangible changes to the company's products. So as a leader across the business, really open your ears uh, to uh, listening to the feedback that uh, that your sales team is uh, is 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 giving you. I have certainly uh, both succeeded and failed uh, at 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 that uh, at that in the past, and you know that brings me to the. Uh, us to the concept uh, or the topic of uh, of, of incentives, uh, you know, uh, the 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 uh, a great incentive plan uh, almost seems like the unattainable, uh, unreachable holy grail. And you know, in this podcast, one of the things that we talk about a lot is continuous improvement and uh, and identifying and eliminating waste. Uh, in my own personal experience, uh, overly complicated incentive plans uh, that aren't necessarily aligned with the with the company's north star can almost create some of this tension uh, that uh, that we've been that we've been talking about just in the creation of overly complex uh, in, uh, and uh, over-engineered uh, incentive, incentive plans. So, uh, you know, how do you, uh, what advice do you have uh, for sales leaders to align incentive plans with the rest of the business and really, really simplify things? Uh, because you're going to have a lot of open ears here on, on how, how to really get as straightforward and simple as possible. Sure. So I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I led a large analytics um, team in Florida that was focused very much on sales incentives, you know, about five or so years ago. And my view on this is, if you want to think about simplifying incentive plans, then you want to simplify metrics. So um, you've got to remember, as a salesperson, you're getting assessed or analyzed on many different parts of your role. You know, how, how quick do you work for your, for, for your customer portfolio? You know, what is your build business or what is your revenue generation? Or, you know, how quick does how quickly can you close a deal? There's many different ways you could assess the performance of a, of a salesperson. So what you want to do is if you want them to drive performance and you want them to be incentivized in a way that's going to drive revenue, then simplify 
the amount of um, metrics that you're going to be assessing them on so they can actually focus. So I would say identify one or two metrics that are going to make the biggest difference to your business and link the rewards to those one or two metrics. Because every, and I, and I, and I love debating this, Andy, because I remember you know, when I was in the incentives role and leading the incentive team, we had this discussion many times around, well, there's so many different things that a salesperson has to get right. How can we possibly simplify it? But one thing to remember here is, Every extra, every extra metric or every additional metric that you add to a salesperson's scorecard devalues the metrics already on that scorecard. So if one of your metrics is sales revenue, then if I start adding three or four other metrics that are, are different or linked to other parts of your role, essentially that sales revenue metric has gone from being 100% of your scorecard to maybe being 20% or 10%, depending on how many metrics you, you add. So then the salesperson's going, well, if I've got five metrics and they're all 20% on my scorecard or they all look like they're 20% on my scorecard, how do I balance all of that? Um, so, so my advice is figure out what is the most important thing for the business at that time. And you can change it as, the, as your business evolves. But if you really want to get sales revenue up, then make the revenue of that salesperson the most important thing on that sales scorecard and link the bulk of their incentive to that one metric. Because if they've got that in there in the forefront of their mind when they're selling, that's what they're going to end up driving. And if that's going to improve your business by 80%, then maybe efficiency is something you can leave to the side or the number of customers is something you can leave to the side and just purely focus on the revenue opportunities. And what it also does by having um, few metrics rather than a lot of metrics is if you have fewer then you're actually empowering the salesperson to figure out how they're going to achieve that result rather than telling them they're going to achieve revenue by increase revenue by being more efficient or what other metrics you want on there by just giving them one or two metrics you're allowing them to figure out what is the best way to seize those opportunities and drive the revenue so i'm a big fan of having very simple incentive plans and from from experience a lot of companies over engineer this and they tend to bring in so many different metrics because, you know, that team wants them to focus on this and this team wants to focus on that. And when you start bringing in too many metrics, you feel like you're holding the salesperson to account in a much better way. But actually what you could be doing is confusing them a lot more. So I would go right back to basics, strip everything out and figure out the one or two things you're really trying to drive in the business and link the incentives to that for the salesperson. Yeah, that's a that's a great Great lesson, Daniel. Uh, and and that, that that lesson applies across the business, not not just for sales. You know, really get focused on what you're going to measure. Uh, make sure that the measurement is in alignment with the goals uh, and the north star of, of the business. And then make things transparent. Uh, make it so that everybody can see the red lights, the yellow lights, and and the green lights. Uh, in uh, so I'm a huge fan of of uh, of of, vi of visual management um so i r r really really great great advice um let, let's go back to the tension between uh, between sales and the business uh, again i'm i'm picking on sales here but uh it you know it, it the tensions uh as you pointed out uh, are all across are all across the business we, we just happen to be focusing on sales today what advice do you have for leaders uh on both sides the the business and and sales uh to minimize this tension so that trust is the norm and uh and and not exception how do you grow 
trust uh, across across the business emanating from sales and not trying to trying to pour it into sales. I like this question because it really uh, links into kind of human psychology. And um, one of the things with trust is that it takes time. Like you can't have, if you think about sales, right? If you walk into a prospect and you try and pitch an idea, right? That pitch is not going to win you complete trust with that prospect. I mean, if it does, incredible, but let's be realistic. Trust takes time. Um, So based on that notion, I would say it's really important here. And my piece of advice would be to partner early on together and really identify at the beginning what you're trying to achieve and what the benefit or the value is to both parties so everybody knows what's in it for them. And if you can identify synergies in that partnership, then trust will naturally build. And it has to be organic. You can't force trust. It just, you just can't. You can do things to encourage it, but it ultimately it will, it will take time to establish. But if you've built that, if you've built that um, partnership early on and, you've, and you start to establish trust, then there'll be much more hunger from both parties to collaborate in the future. And that will really help strengthen the working relationship. So, so my advice is even if you don't need a particular individual or team involved in the process um, from the beginning, getting everybody on the same page at the beginning of the, of the process is really, really important. Because then you can say to team A, oh, we don't quite need you until later on in the process, but we wanted to give you a sense as to what we're going to be doing between now and when you become involved in the process. So I'm not saying that everybody's involved from the beginning and they have to attend meetings or whatever that they're not interested in. What I'm saying is if everybody is on the same page from day one and maybe they're not needed until day 20, but as long as they know what's going on between day one and day 20, they're going to feel more part of the process and that's going to establish trust because they're going to feel like you're in control of the project, you're respecting every player that's involved in the project. Um, So for me, that um, that's the way that the sale, the sales teams and the business should work together, partner early on, establish the, the, the roles that everybody's going to play, be very transparent in what you're all doing, even if you're not completely involved in every single element of the process, identify those synergies. And I think trust will naturally build and that hunger to collaborate in the future will, will inevitably grow. So that's the kind of thing I was one of the, the tips I would probably share um, in, in sales and the business working together is, is partnering early on. Yeah, and I'll I'll augment that just uh, just a bit here uh, by encouraging uh, both the business leaders uh, generally, not picking just on sales, but uh, get the, get your planning done earlier, get your metrics and your targets done earlier. Uh, I've I've been involved in situations where uh, you've got your 2022 goals, let's say, but they don't get uh, solidified until March of 2022. <laughs> so, you know, you, you two months are gone because your budgeting process took too long or or, or what have you. So you burned ha- almost half a year uh, and, and you're by definition getting started late. And that just frustrates everybody. Um, so we're, we're, we're almost out of time, Daniel. Um, uh, put you a little bit on the spot here. I'm a brand new sales rep. Uh, I'm in one of my first jobs. Uh, I, I want to work for a company that uh, 
that I believe in, I'm aligned with, and I want to I want to work in one of these high trust, high accountability environments. What advice do you have for the new, uh, the new, the new sales rep that's just coming on board? Uh, to uh, maybe, maybe it's a mistake that you've made in your past that uh, that that you want to help them uh, th- that new rep of, uh, avoid. How how can we help uh, brand new sales reps today? Well, my advice to brand new sales reps would be: don't be afraid to feedback to your leader and to the business. You know, sharing feedback will help improve the company's products. It will help deepen your relationship across the business. It will also even help give you inside information that you can use to improve the positioning of the products to customers. So one of the big things to sales, to new sales reps is I would say you might be a little bit fearful that you're not going to add value right away to the business because you're new. Um, and it might take you some time to get to know the customers or the prospects or to figure out how you're going to make your mark on the performance. But think about other ways you can add value from the beginning your external knowledge of the products and anything you're hearing from the customers initially that's really valuable and very powerful information that you can share with your leader or the business that's going to make you a very valuable asset so i would say look at where you can add value and don't be afraid of sharing feedback because that's really going to show that you're passionate for the products and ultimately it's going to help you position those products better because you're going to establish a much better working relationship with your leader and with the, the rest of the business. So that would be one one tip I would share. Thank, thank you so much, Daniel. Well, we're, we're out of time. Uh, again, we've had uh, Daniel Hayden uh, from, from Google on with us today. Uh, my name is Andy. This is the Balancing Act Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, that's where you find us. Please press the subscribe button. Uh, and, uh, and remember, we've got the Saturday Morning Muse over on andrewtempty.com, as well as access uh, to, uh, to all, our, all our podcast content and, uh, and my book, The Balancing Act. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Daniel, for being here. Have a great rest of the day.